All right, here we are, June 2nd. That's 6-2 for those who like the numbers instead of the names. Norm, is that you? You like the numbers instead of the names? Hey, man, I just love everybody. I don't care. What's your racing number? Uh, Depends on the car. Uh, I like to go with 66 if they have that number available because my hero ran that number, Mark Donahue, back in the 60s and 70s. Gotcha. Well, if you, if those who haven't figured it out yet, this is Common Sense Ohio coming at you from Studio C here at 511. Common Sense Ohio, what's that about? Well, if you don't know already, you should, because we are, uh, I guess we're burning up the airwaves, Brett. We're, uh, mm-hmm. We've got people in Dayton that say everybody listens to Common Sense Ohio. So yep. what we're asking you to do is like and subscribe. So what does that mean? That means like and subscribe. Go to wherever you get podcasts, download it, like it, subscribe to it, and then tell your neighbor because he'll like it or she'll like it, and then she can do the same. Uh, we like to come at the news world with a common sense approach from Ohio that is right from the middle. You see the pun? Right from the middle. Yeah. Um, all right, we got Norm. It looks like you got the racing stuff in the background. Uh, yeah, this is my uh, racing RV, the GT140. 140 inches from the ground to the top of the air conditioning shroud. And that's how Carol Shelby named the, the race car back in the day. The GT40 was from the ground to the top of the roof. So I renamed my RV the GT140, and the Shelby people have had a cow over that. So, <laughs> yeah, man, all, all equipped. I've, I've got a 24-foot trailer, uh, two racing shells I'm bringing back to Ohio, and an, a race motor. So uh, uh, running around the country doing some errands, people. All right. Well, the show goes on, as they say, with you remotely by Zoom. Uh, and um, by the way, the, the if, if you haven't gone or you need an easy way to subscribe, you can go to the website, commonsenseohioshow.com. There's a website. Norm's blog is prolific. Um, Brett, you're a close second. I, I am, but I'm trailing, I'm tra- I'm trailing behind Nona too. I got, zero. <laughs> I got zero on my end. But uh, anyway, check it out, and you can subscribe, like, do whatever I asked you to do there. Um, now, last week or last time, I think two weeks ago, we had Brett or um, – um, Robert Cooperman mm-hmm. from Stage Right Productions. This this week, we have another guest, to sort of uh, closer to my professional heart anyway, and a, and a close friend of mine, Paul Scarcella. And why do we have Paul here? Well, because we can, and uh, he's an attorney. He's got some backdrop and background with uh, prosecution as well as criminal defense. I have zero experience prosecuting any cases. And Norm, you brought up a few weeks ago the death penalty uh, proposal down in uh, Florida for child sex cases or for rape cases or something like that. And I thought, well, hold the phone. We'll get Paul in here to talk about it because I know he's prosecuted a few. And uh, so, Paul, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Why don't we just start, uh, just tell us your background because I first met you. I think you were in a Delaware prosecutor's office. We were working on a drug case out there. Now, we met when we were both young attorneys in Franklin County, and I started as an assistant prosecutor here. Oh, uh, okay. So we went... I started here in 97 as an assistant prosecutor, uh, started doing gangs and guns pretty closely after that, uh, left Franklin County in 2003, ended up in Franklin or Delaware County for a little bit, and then spent 10 years from 2007 until 2017 with the AG's office in Ohio, going around doing murder cases throughout the state. Most of them were capital. So I think I've worked probably close to 100 homicides at this point, probably about 55 or so of those were capital offenses between those three different jurisdictions where I was a prosecutor. Yeah, and I think people don't, I, I, I didn't really appreciate or understand how much of this goes on, but throughout Ohio, there every county has a prosecutor's office. 
but they don't always prosecute their own cases. You were at the attorney general's office, and how did it go down that you would go to, why, why call the AG? What was the deal with so that? So in 2007, when I went there, it was an absolutely brand new unit. I helped set it up. Um, county prosecutors in smaller counties, like in Southern Ohio or Northwest Ohio, may not have the resources needed for a capital case. So what we did was we offered experienced prosecutors that would go in for free, no cost to the county, and assist them and take some of that burden off of the local prosecutor's office from a resource perspective. Nobody had ever done it before. Um, the AG's office had never really been involved in direct criminal prosecution prior to that. And when I left the office after 10 years, we had cases in, I think, 78 of the 88 counties throughout Ohio that we had worked. So, and you, so you just traveled all over the state. Jump in my car and drive. That's, mm. that's cool. Now, I am proud to, proud is not the right word. I am happy to say, since it is Pride Month, Normous Pride Month. Hey, I'm proud. All right. He's proud of his. He proud, how tall is your rig? 144 140 inches. Man. All right. He's proud of that. Um, uh, no, I had, a, I had a, tr a murder case down in Hocking County if, uh, last fall, and uh, the attorney generals were prosecuting that. And I sort of got the sense that it was because it's a smaller county, they don't have like dozens of employees and investigators, et cetera. Is that sort of the deal? That's what it was. You know, when you get a capital case, especially in a small county, it can eat up an entire prosecutor's office between the motions that get filed, the investigations that need to get done, all of the pretrial litigation that goes on in a death penalty case. With a one or two attorney office, it can kill the whole office. And they're, you know, county prosecutors are responsible for representing all the townships in the county. They're representing for all the county agencies, so the sheriff, children's services, child support. So to have two or three attorneys and throw a death penalty case in, it becomes an absolute nightmare. Um, for sort of sounds family. like my practice. <laughs> or mine now that I'm in private practice. It's like, I, I love it because, uh, you know, the state, uh, the prosecutor's office is like, no, we can't handle that. We only have like four prosecutors and we only have a few support staff, so we can't handle it. It's like, all right, I have one or two lawyers and like a part-time staff, yet I'm expected to defend the case. Absolutely. Um, all right, so there's a bunch to talk about with death penalty stuff. You know, you have like the, the moral... Uh, side of it, you have like the practical side of it, and then you know when should we apply the death penalty case? What is the constitutional side of it? It's a huge discussion, and you know people think that because I sort of uh, tack a little bit uh, conservatively, uh, that I'd be all in favor of the death penalty, and that's not that's not necessarily true. I mean, I've got my reasons for not uh, being in favor of the death penalty, um, but uh, why don't we just start there? Like, what's uh, Norm? What do you think about the moral? Side of the, I mean, you and I have probably had some dragons about drag out fights about this, but you know, th there's this old notion of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Let's just uh, somebody kills me or kills my loved one, I want to kill them. Yeah. So where I come down on that is, um, I think, I think the death penalty is warranted for incredibly egregious, horrible uh, crimes where there is no doubt about the guilt or innocence. Um, where I start to get on your side of the ledger is when I see statistics, and I'm sure Paul uh, has this in, 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 in his hip pocket, but I think in our last show or previous to that, I had a statistic from the uh, organization that tracks uh, people on death row and Ohio, I believe, was in the last, I don't know, few decades, somewhere around 15 to 20 percent of the people on death row have been proven to have 
either not gotten a fair trial or some witness recantation or some defect such that they went from being on death row to either being freed or having their penalty changed to something else. And that truly bothers me. Uh, it just has to be super clear that the person's guilty. So I want video evidence. I want DNA evidence. Um, a little less reliant on uh, witnesses because the wit human witnesses have proven to be so unreliable. Um, and the other thing, Steve, that we talked about is the delay of 15, 20 years, 25 years between the time a person gets a death sentence and the time that it, it was carried out. And I guess the last one in Ohio was 2018, the Cincinnati case. Uh, so we're not using it in the last five years. I guess Governor DeWine has put a, uh, a hold on it um, as governor. Uh, I suppose he has. Is that true? I didn't know that. There's, there's not been an official hold. The, the, what they're saying is we can't find the drugs necessary to there effectively do it. Okay. So thank you. Thank you. They're not yeah. actively seeking it. They're not seeking different methods of imposing the death penalty. There's an unofficial moratorium. DeWine, That's, DeWine's not going to come out as a Republican and put a moratorium on the death penalty in the state of Ohio. That's just not going to happen. But he's going to say right. other things like, well, we just can't find the drugs that we need. Because or, manufacturers don't want to back it right, and be a part of that. Manufacturers are like, we're not going to yeah. sell it to you if you're going to use it for the death penalty. Right. Right. And there are other states that have gone and like, okay, we can't get the drugs, so we're going to go to the firing squad. Or we're going to bring back the electric chair. Things that the Supreme Court have said is not unduly painful to the defendant who's being executed. Um, yeah. DeWine hasn't yeah. picked that fight. The legislature in Ohio hasn't even thought about doing anything other than I think there's legislation now to to do away with the death penalty in Ohio that's pending, yes. that's pending in the Ohio legislature right now. But there's no official yes. moratorium. We just can't find the medication that we need is what they're saying. There's enough fentanyl laying around. If they really wanted to get it done, they could probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I've got some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what? Yeah, so go ahead, Steve. Just uh, th just to finish that thought. So you and I had a an extended discussion on a previous show about how how as as the as the person on death row uh, awaits a final, you know, their their execution date. All this time goes by, and that person in some cases becomes a very different person than the one who committed the crime. And there is great human tragedy and, and human loss. If a person goes into prison, uh, some kind of hardcore criminal or a person who, you know, lost their marbles or, or whatever. And then while in prison, they convert into, you know, a useful and productive and, contributory uh, person. And so I guess on the death penalty, if we're going to use it, we need to be 100% sure. And then we need to do it a little bit more. I don't mean fast, but we, we it's got to be, it can't be 20 years. It can't be 15 years. It's, it's, it's I think that's cruel and unusual, not only to the victims, uh, families, and to the rest of society, but you know, to, to, to allow a person to grow and become a completely different person than, say, they were when they were 24 and now they're 60. Th that's to me. Then I don't want to put that person to death, you know, because it's a changed person, it's a different person.
So I, we, we, my opinion is, yeah, there is a place for the death penalty. But all of this, all the machinations in court, all the triple and quadruple chances to prove things and, and gum up the works, to me, makes it not only not a deterrent, but um, undesirable. So that's 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 my take on the morality. Well, I mean, Paul, you've got you said how many death penalty cases you said you prosecute? I've worked on probably fifty. How many at trial? I uh, went to trial. I think there were twelve that actually went to trial. How many guys on death row you got? Two. So two. What happened to the others? Just uh, life without parole. So Everyone. I guess it's probably helpful, I guess, to discuss how it works because it's not like you just get convicted and then they right. impose a death penalty in Ohio. It's a two-step process. Right. So the first, there has to be an indictment that justifies a, a death penalty. So there has to be some aggravating circumstance that goes along with it. So it's not just every murder. There's got to be prior calculation and design or the commission of a murder during the commission of some other violent felony and it has to be a purposeful killing. So, for example, the one I have on death row is a guy by the name of Richard Beasley. Beasley put out ads on Craigslist for people in South, to come work at a farm in southern Ohio. Yeah, this is the infamous nationally known Craigslist killer. Craigslist killer. Yeah. yeah. Well, there were several Craigslist killers. This one was the one in Ohio. So okay. this guy... He put an ad out to come work on a farm. The guys would pack up all of their belongings because they thought they were coming to work on a farm. He would shoot them in the head, bury them in a hole, and sell all their stuff. Um, decent way to make a living, I guess, if, you, if you, until you get caught, <laughs> whatever. Easy, it right? seemed to work for him. Certainly entrepreneurial. <laughs> I don't think that's what Craigslist, or Craigslist was really contemplating no. when they created um, the platform. Yeah. So, and he was doing it because there was a warrant for his arrest out of Texas for a parole violation. He didn't want to go back. So the first guy he killed, he didn't actually meet on Craigslist. He met at a homeless shelter in Akron and thought he could pass as him. So he killed him, took his identity, and then killed a couple more people. And realized, wait, this is a good deal. It's actually working out pretty good. Right. So um, he's the first one. He's the second one I have on. The first one is a guy by the name of Curtis Clinton. He did Curtis all, Clinton. That Curtis actually, Clinton. His defense attorneys referred to him as courteous because he was so nice to them, probably because they weren't female or two years old, um, because he killed a woman uh, after raping her violently killed her two-year-old daughter after raping her violently, and then uh, strangled the four-year-old boy because he didn't rape boys, he just killed them. Gotcha. Uh, so he killed the whole family, and he is on death row as well. So you, uh, you get the indictment, then you go to trial. Right, and then there's a whole second phase of the trial, and that's what's interesting about Curtis, is that the defense then has an opportunity to present what's called mitigating evidence. Well, hold on, let me stop you. Let me, okay. let, let, me, let me catch everybody up, because what happens is there's a trial, just like every other trial. You're accused of a crime, the prosecutor has to come into a courtroom, they have to present evidence that, in, in theory, convinces a jury beyond a reasonable doubt that the guy is guilty, and then if they say not guilty, well, he walks away, no death. If they say guilty, we then they go to like a whole separate second trial with the same jury. Second trial, same jury, yes. And so, what happens at that trial? So at that point in time, the defense presents what's called mitigating evidence. So they present evidence about the person because the way it's set up in Ohio, the death penalty not only has to fit the crime, but it has to fit that specific defendant. So it's not a blanket. There's nothing about the death penalty in Ohio that's automatic. So there has to be all of these different steps before you get there. So in Clinton's case, there was significant mitigating evidence that the defense did not put on at his request because he knew that he probably, given the evidence that they had, would probably not get the death penalty and he would end up in general population. He did not want to go to general population because he had been to prison for a homicide before and knew what awaited him based upon what he was convicted of doing. So he told his attorneys not to present his mitigating evidence no mitigation. The aggravating circumstance has to outweigh that beyond a reasonable doubt. So the jury had to find 
that the death penalty was appropriate for him. He wanted to go to death row because he's alone in a cell and he's not in general population. What he had done to those two kids was going to cause him significant issues in the institution. So he chose to go to death row. So that's like suicide by death row. But he also knows, well, it's kind of worked out in Ohio that he's just going to sit basically in solitary confinement for the rest of his life because he's never going to get executed. Um, Beasley, on the other Mm -hmm. hand, fought. So there was mitigation that was presented there. The jury had to decide whether or not the evidence that was presented was outweighed beyond a reasonable doubt by the aggravating circumstances of the manner in which he committed these murders. They did find that. They found that there was mitigation, but it didn't, the aggravating circumstances far outweighed it, so they sentenced him to death as well. So there's a whole second trial that the jury, it's the jury who makes that decision, and then the judge has to impose it. The judge can then say, no, I don't even think this is, I still don't think this is right, if that is how the judge sees all of the evidence as well. So it's like Pontius Pilate. Pretty signing much. off on it can wash mm. the hands or mm. sign off on it and go from there yeah so it, it what we're what we're describing really is two separate trials with the same jury with the it, in two separate sets of facts and two separate sets of issues and you know the the problem with it from the defense standpoint and i've never tried one to completion i've started a few of them and they've gotten resolved in one way or another but when you stand up in front of a jury and the prosecutor still has to prove your client guilty and you have to pick your jury as if your client is already found guilty, what would they do? You know, it's like it's mm. a, you've got a cart and a horse problem. I was so going to say, keeping the same jury, who does that benefit? Well, you know, the way it works out is the jury selection process takes forever okay. because you talk to them individually because you I don't know. want one person saying something and then poisoning the rest. Right. So you talk to them individually for the most part. Which I, 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 you know, there's pros and cons of that. I find that to be hogwash, frankly. But I would much rather, <laughs> like, I don't mind talking to them individually if they're going to tell me about some awful experience they've had and, you know, they're prejudiced and whatever. But mm. individual voir dire on, um, Generally speaking, I think sometimes defeats the purpose. We are limited. Mm. Most times in a death penalty case, you're limited in individual voir dire to the death penalty, how they feel about the death Mm -hmm. penalty, and then pretrial publicity. So speaking of Hawking County, I tried one down there, and it was a small group setting. So there were eight people there. So the first question out of the box from the judge was, does anybody know anything about this case? And it was a very high-profile case in Hawking County. Yeah, like who who didn't know about it, right? Summer Inman was strangled and dumped in a septic tank, okay? So... Guy, juror's name, his name was Stoney. I will never forget this. I can't remember his last name, but his name was Stoney, and he looked like a guy named Stoney from Hawking County. And he raises his hand and goes, you give me five minutes, but boy, we can wrap this up right now. So <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the panel was let out of the courtroom, yeah. and we went to the next group at that point. Yeah. So in some cases, it works well. But the point is, you prosecutors have to do that too. And I think the one of the bigger issues right now at least in my opinion, having been on the defense side for the last five and a half years, is that when I was doing it, my goal was to make sure nobody went to death row that didn't belong on death row. Nobody was going there where there, if there was even going to be a question of whether or not they deserved to go to death row. I don't necessarily see that same thing coming from the state these days. Um, so the prosecutor has so much power in one, how they indict, and then two, how they try to select a jury. My purpose was to find a jury, to be perfectly honest, most of the time was that was going to be good for guilt. I didn't necessarily care about death. Yeah. Because I wanted to make sure that if I had a case that the he was going to get convicted, if he be- mm-hmm. deserved to be convicted, mm-hmm. the death penalty would work itself out. I wasn't overly concerned about that. I don't see that not only with death penalty cases, and that ties into the, like the child sex cases that you guys were talking about and the death penalty being imposed there. I don't see prosecutors having that same discretion these days with respect to 
what is just or what is right as opposed to what's going to get me elected. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in Franklin County, we're never going to see another death penalty case in Franklin County no matter what. I mean, somebody could walk into an orphanage tomorrow and, you know, pull the whole Star Wars thing and kill all the young Jedis and you're never going to get the death penalty in the state of Ohio and in Franklin County. In Franklin County, yeah. So, but because that's the prosecutor's perspective, that's the manner in which they want to do it. Then you can go down to Cincinnati and it's still, if you spit on the sidewalk, you very well may get indicted on a capital offense. So This is the sort of the fundamental problem with the system. I think in a lot of ways is that people don't always understand this. It's, it's not whether the guy, we can leave, leave aside guilt for a second. There is a, there is a superseding decision about what you're going to charge a guy with, whether you're going to actually seek a death penalty, whether you're not going to seek a death penalty. Um, and, and it's really difficult to square incongruent decision-making around the country. So you may have somebody say in Texas who commits the same crime as somebody in, um, New York and they're not going to get a death penalty in New York, but they will in Texas. And, uh, you know, but they did the same thing. Now you could even shrink that and just stay in Ohio. You could go to Cincinnati, like you said, or stay in Franklin County, the same act, seemingly a similar person is going to live down in Cincy or live up in Franklin County and die down in Cincy. And then, you know, mixed into all that is the practical application, which is nobody gets executed anymore anyway. Right. So why, why, you know, so are we going to continue to waste resources to indict? I know Delaware County just indicted a capital case a couple months back. And, you know, why? What's the politics? What's the whole point? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got a prosecutor who wants to be judge or something down the road. So she, she wants to make sure that she's not offending anyone in her base by not chasing the death penalty. Um, but in all reality, even if he's convicted, even if they're sentenced to death, they're never going to get it. Yeah. It's just never going to happen. So why are you wasting the county resources? Why are you doing that for a political win? I, it, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but again, that's the prosecutor's prerogative. They are the ones who get to make those decisions. I, I was at a, uh, this is going probably back to the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. There's an, there's an organization called the National Association of Criminal Defense Attorneys, NACDL. And I was out in Arizona at a seminar and, it, you know, politics have changed. You know, there was a time when people in certain, that organization would have been considered liberal, but they were protecting everybody's rights. And, you know, it, you know all, the, all the lawyers there, um, you know, were seemingly against the death penalty as a moral for moral reasons, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I wasn't necessarily against the death penalty for moral reasons. In fact, I, I'm not against the death penalty, morally speaking. But this this uh, judge came in, and he was a very conservative judge. And um, he was coming out against the death penalty, and he gave a long talk. He had, he had sort of come out of the closet, so to speak, of um, in the conservative circles to uh, speak against the death penalty. And his logic was interesting. He goes, look, I'm not going to go down this path of trying to discern whether somebody was wrongfully convicted. He goes, I'm just going to assume that we always get that right. Um, and I think he actually meant that. Like he actually thought we always get that right. And I, I can take some issue with that, but, uh, then he shifted to, to part two. It's like, then how, who are we to choose among the guilty who should die? And you know, the, the, the factors that you consider these mitigating factors and aggravating circumstances in the person's life I mean, his point was, we try to make that black and white as much as we can. In other words, we spell it out on paper with words what the factors are. But it's really these abstract concepts that that have no measure that can be applied equally across the board. It just is a gut feeling on one day, maybe versus another, in one county versus another. And uh, he said, I just don't think there's a good practical way to make that decision effectively. And I would agree with that. It almost comes down to 
like Stony. You know, some <laughs> folks yeah. just need killing. And how do you figure out who that is? You know, it's not like a novel. It's not like a TV show where there's some sense of justice that gets done. You can take two co-defendants who are accused of the exact same thing with different juries in the exact same county, and they can come up with different results because they are different people. Yep. To some, that is the epitome of fairness because they're different people, so they should be treated differently. To others, it's like they did the exact same thing. Why aren't they being punished the same? There's that incongruity about it that frustrates a lot of people. From a moral perspective, I don't have a problem with it. From a pragmatic perspective, that's where it becomes a little bit more different. What am I seeking here? What's really important? The death penalty is not going to bring, you know, Mr. Pauly back to see his sister, who was one of Mr. Beasley's victims, okay? The family doesn't get to hug him again. They don't get to talk to him at Christmas. Whether Beasley lives on death row or, or dies on death row or lives the rest of his life in prison, none of that changes that. So I think we have lost sight on a lot of things in this country, but when it comes to the death penalty as to what is this idea of justice? What are we actually fighting for? What is it supposed to be? And nobody wants to have that conversation because it doesn't fit in a tweet. And that's, I think, what if we're really going to talk about the death penalty, whether it's for child sex cases in Florida or murders in Ohio, what is it? What do we see is what, what's justice today? You know, how is justice supposed to be taken care of? I mean, that's the underlying function of the whole system. But what is it that we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. And, you know, Norm, what you did, and, and, and uh, this isn't a criticism, only an observation, you, you sort of unwittingly collapsed everything that we've been talking about into one consideration. Like, if he's really, really guilty, and it's obvious that he's really guilty, then we should kill him. Um, the problem is, it's like what you're really saying, he's a bad guy and deserves to die because he committed a bad act. But, you know, the bad act doesn't make him a bad guy, at least under Ohio law. You know, there, there's mitigating factors and aggravating circumstances or vice versa. And so you could commit a really heinous act, and um, and maybe even you're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But then you can still live because you're not a bad guy. It's 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 such a an impossible standard from my perspective to impose with any degree of consistency. How do you like? How do you differentiate between a gangbanger who kills four or five people as part of his gang enforcement? And we've had several of those through yep. Franklin County over the years. Okay. Yep. Summit County, you know, where Beasley was tried. I mean, there's guys who run notorious drug gangs that have killed multiple people. They didn't bring them in off a of Craigslist, but they killed other drug dealers or things along those lines. So, are we then going to rate the death penalty based upon who the victim was? You know, is that appropriate? I mean, these are all factors that go into the decisions being made by county prosecutors and juries and defense attorneys arguing against it that there's so many different layers to this that there's no simple answer to it. And I think that's what frustrates most people is they want everything to be simple. And and the politics, what you just said was interesting. It it, did trigger a thought here. It's like, think of old sort of uh, Jim Crow South. You know, if a a black man... uh, killed a white man or raped a white girl. Like what's the movie? Uh, Time to kill. Yeah. Or, you know, to kill a mockingbird. To kill a a mockingbird. It's like, it's, that's an easy political call. We're going to kill that guy. He's going to hang. Um, and now it's almost reversed. You know, it's like, it's almost reversed. And, uh, for political reasons, you might see a death penalty prosecution in Franklin County. If you had a racial related killing with a white guy killing a black man, 
and you know it, it's political either way. You know, it's it's like if you're not gonna if you're not gonna if you're not gonna impose a death penalty on one, but you will on the other, then that is a human decision that is inherently subject to flaw. And every decision is, and I think that's the point. You know, so when I was doing these death penalty cases, I wrapped myself up in the statutes, and I wrapped myself up in the constitution, and I made sure that we had someone who had committed a crime that fit the statutes and was justifiable. All right, I got a guy down in Ironton. He's getting divorced. He walks into his estranged wife's bedroom. Their 11-year-old daughter's in bed with him because they had fallen asleep watching TV after you know Wednesday night church school. He wakes his daughter up, gets her out of the bedroom, pours two five-gallon cans of gas over his wife and sets her on fire. In front of the 11, the 11-year-old hears her screaming, comes out. Dad's walking out of the bedroom, sees mom on fire behind. Yeah. And he's like, go get your brother and get out of the house. There's a fire. And then, you know, yeah, that fits the statute. That's absolutely something that is justifiable in killing that guy, right? I mean, killing your, the, the mother of his children in front of them? Yeah, from, from the most rudimentary Hanarabi code, that's like, that guy should die. And especially when, as her husband, he knows that her biggest fear is to die in a fire. Okay. Yeah. So he did it with the, with the intention, Perfect to, make intention. It, to make it like really, really miserable. But for in order for me to get the death penalty, I have to have a trial because he's not going to plead guilty because no defense attorney is going to let him plead guilty in Ironton because they're building a gallows outside as soon as he's arrested for this. Right. Sure. But then I got to make this little girl testify against her dad and I got to put her on the witness stand and I got to ask her what happened. She's 11. By the time it comes to trial, she's maybe 13. She's already been through the trauma of losing her mom and her dad, all right, because her dad's gone. I mean, he, whether he dies on a, uh, on a table with a, a needle in his arm or he dies because he's 90 years old in prison, he's dead to her because she watched him kill her mom, right? How do I put her on the witness stand? How is that justice to make her go through that so that I can get a notch in my belt or something along those lines? Yeah. So that's the case. Or to please the community or whatever. Or, or, mm -hmm. But for him to plead guilty and go to prison for 43 years to life when he's 38 years old and I know how the parole board works and they're going to flop him and everything else, he's never going to come out. And I have and I can save her from having to testify. Yeah, That's the things that I'm not sure everybody thinks about going forward these days. As, you know, those are the considerations that I think prosecutors need to take a a little more notice of. Well, and, and prosecutors don't get the opportunity to even tell that story of, to the public, this right. is why we're doing this. Yeah, yeah. So it's understood, right? I mean, so, so there's a conscious going on here. It's like we're not just doing it not to do this. It's like we're going to save this 13 year old from agony again, right? But you don't get the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. Another perfect example of how the politics plays into every decision that we make. Olivia, my partner, and I were trying a case not too long ago in a, in a neighboring county. I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but we're in a neighboring county and we're trying to get this case resolved as the jury is waiting to come in, and it's a for that county, it was a high-profile case, whatever. It was a homicide. They don't get many of them. But the judge made mention of, look, if I do this, your boss, pointing at the assistant prosecutor, is going to blast me all over Facebook, and ethically, I'm not allowed to say anything back to her. Because if he did something where it wasn't life without parole or something like that as the sentence, yeah. she was going to go off on the judge because as a prosecutor, she can. As a judge, he's bound ethically that they can't. All of those factors weigh into every decision, but nobody wants to talk about how prevalent those decisions are these days. And that's what's the, the root of the issue with the criminal justice system. Yeah, we had, mm -hmm. a, we had a judge recently, and I'm not going to mention the county or who or what, even, uh, or even uh, gender, but this judge imposed prison on a case that the prosecutor and the defense um, were both recommending 
probation or community control. And the judge says, well, I just don't see this as a community control case. I don't see this. I don't see that. I don't see that. And listen to some other factors. And looking back, it was an inherently political decision for reasons that uh, maybe there's an election year or maybe there's uh, uh, some higher aspirations. And, you know, judges don't want to be out there uh, and criticized when their jobs depend on the voters any more than prosecutors do, any more than any other politician does. And, you know, I'm not saying that makes this person bad. I'm just saying that makes the system uh, a little bit flawed inherently. And I, and I think not calling anybody out or bad, it's just the way the system is perceived these days, okay? Not under, pe- people don't understand what goes into it. You and I, the, the case you mentioned about how we first met was in, in Delaware County. We can talk about it because it was 100 years ago now. Yeah. The judge had a sign on his bench that said, I don't care how they do it in Franklin County. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that was the exact same thing. We, you and I, as the attorneys on the case, had worked out a deal. We had worked out what we thought was an appropriate resolution. And he went, Andy told us off the record that he was going to go it. along with it. Yeah. And then as soon as we go in and go on a record, he jacks it all up and doubles right. the time and was just a mess. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to get people who read a headline and scroll through or to just look at a tweet and don't pay any attention to understand all of the different things that go into these decisions and how this system has become a political animal, just like everything else in this country. And that makes it much more difficult to navigate through for the lawyers, for the prosecutors, for the judges, for the defendants, for everybody, because it's not just about what the statute says today. Yeah. It's, it's not about what the court said. This is how we interpret the law today. It's everything has to play into that, and it becomes much more complicated. I think. Well, I'm going to sh- I'm going to change direction here a little bit, Norman. Get back to something you said because it, it was interesting to me. You you brought up a concept. I'm going to call it redemption, where you get a guy on death row, and uh, if if it were yesterday, you'd want him dead. But then, 15 years goes by. You know, he's he's. Uh, legitimately redeemed himself say maybe found god maybe uh engage maybe helped dozens and dozens of dozens of other inmates in the prison system has done everything you would want a model citizen slash prisoner to be and now you have to you have to go uh, flip the switch on old sparky and fry him or you know start the poison or do whatever you're going to do it's like uh, how it, it's difficult for me to square that one either it's like it's easy to kill somebody uh, when they're right after they did a bad act, but it leaves no room for redemption later. Um, what's your thought on that, Norm? Yeah, well, you you can never know immediately after the crime uh, during the course of the trial what that person may or may not eventually uh, redeem themselves, uh, how they would do it, if they would do it, uh, you know, whether it's sincere or whether it's an act. Um, you know, the, the whole, the whole idea of recidivism, right. Is, is an interesting, um, mine, uh, to, to, to dig through, but on death row, there's no question that some people, uh, are completely different, uh, after 15 or 20 or 25 years. And, uh, they have value to society and the victim's family may even, uh, support not putting that person to death who knows it's sort of but, like the it's sort of like the 24-hour rule right if i get an email that pisses me off i wait 24 <laughs> hours to respond yeah. you know it's like because right. my initial response is usually bad um it's usually right. more like yeah. uh go screw yourself and uh it's no. snotty and it's um it's inappropriate however, however i don't think using the death penalty 
in a situation, you, you know, take uh, John Wilkes Booth, okay? He walked up behind Abraham Lincoln, you know, blew his brains out, jumped off the balcony, you know, made his little speech on the stage and ran out with a broken leg. And so basically it was, you know, the, the 19th century version of having it on film. Okay. A whole theater of people saw it. Okay. So, so they hung those people. I mean, I, you know, well, I mean, say, you said that you made up, you bring up a good point, but you're also suggesting something else here because they hung those people. They didn't just hang Booth. They hung a bunch of other people. They classified as co-conspirators without a whole hell of a lot of proof. Right, right. Right. It's like, it was more like my, a, uh, like mob justice at that point. It was angry justice. Is, my point is whether the other people should have been killed or not. But my point is simply that it, it didn't languish forever in, in some kind of purgatory, legal purgatory, waiting for various machinations to occur. Okay. If, if Booth had been caught and Booth had been executed in uh, real time, okay, which he, he certainly would have been back then, right? Um, who cares what John Wilkes Booth would have turned into had he been uh, put in prison instead for 25 years? And, you know, the point is he committed the crime. It was outrageous what he did. There was no doubt about his guilt. It's eye for an eye. And you can't say you can't say that uh, putting people to death in 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 real time is not a deterrence. The reason the death penalty is not a deterrence, in my opinion, today is because the gangbangers, the murderers, the, 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 the arsonists that, you know, burn down a house with people in it, et cetera, et cetera, they don't they don't get put to death quickly. And so people who maybe have the same intent to commit the same or similar crime don't feel like it's going to happen to them because it didn't happen to this other guy. I, I, you know, we didn't, I could not disagree more with that. I know that. I know that. But we didn't like, kill, you know, we didn't kill Jeffrey Dahmer who, who was eating people. Right. He wasn't put on death row. Nor right? was Jeffrey Dahmer ever deterred or would ever be deterred by kill, by no, a but, death sentence on anybody else. But my point is somebody else, okay, who might have some kind of sick idea to do something similar. If Jeffrey Dahmer had been tried, given the death penalty, and it was carried out within a year or two, right? I believe it would have a deterrent effect on some other people. Nah. But not twenty, not twenty or twenty-five years later. I don't think. Nah. I don't think. It, I don't think it's a deterrent at all. It is strictly vengeance, and right. there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to admit what it is. Yeah, it's all That's vengeance. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, all. It's vengeance. all vengeance. There's That's no right. because well, I mean, these yeah, people yeah, don't so, think so, they're well, getting caught. These people are narcissistic lunatics who don't think that the law applies to them. And if the law doesn't apply to them, what happens to somebody else is completely irrelevant. And or it's a crime of passion that happens well, in an emotional yeah, I don't, rage. I don't, Anybody? Yeah, I don't think I don't think everybody who commits a murder is a narcissistic lunatic. I, well, you know, well, the ones you mentioned, I think, are. Yeah. Yeah, right. But I think there, are, you know, there's other cases. Uh, you know, John Wilkes Booth. I think right? what I think what we have when it comes as many murders as I've worked, I, I've come down to one basic fact of all of them. Nobody goes into that. I don't believe with a clear head. I, I, the decision to take another human life 
there's some kind of snap, there's some kind of break with reality. It may be a momentary break, it may be whatever, but when you make that conscious decision to take another human life, unless it's in combat and there's a much different situation, but if we're talking about because somebody scuffed your pumas at the strip joint and you decide to shoot them, or because you know somebody made a comment about the way your wife looked, so you shoot him, or whatever the reason being, or you decide that, you know, I don't want to go back to prison, so I'm going to line these guys up on Craigslist and take all their stuff. Well, Paul, There's, hold on. What, what about people like James Earl Ray or the, or the people who uh, blew up the, uh, the girls in the basement of that Baptist right. church? Down- when, you have, when you have a racist motivation, there's some break with reality at that point in time. Because if you think you're going to go kill a bunch of girls in a church and that's somehow going to make you a better human being or you can kill them because they're not human, that's not a rational thought. So, Nor is it a thought that's going to be deterred by punishment of somebody else. Exactly. And that's the point. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what anybody else is going to happen because I'm going to go do it because it's still the right thing. That's mm-hmm. my opinion is they, the capital punishment and even sentences to prison, I don't think are deterrent to anybody. I agree. And even Booth, you, you mentioned Wilkes Booth, but you also in the same, you know, you were also saying back in those days, the death penalty was immediate. You still had lynch mobs. And uh, I think anyway, and um, it, he still did it. You know, he wasn't deterred at all. He be- he believed he, he was killing he was doing, a tyrant, and he was doing you know he, he thought he was doing the Lord's work. You yeah. know, six emperor tyrannus or whatever. I just have not right. seen in my practice representing folks charged with crimes in my own life experience. I don't think the punishment is a, is a deterrent. I think that those of us who have rational mindsets have a God given gift of morality. And we understand what it is and we know when we're doing wrong and we don't do things that are wrong because we know they're wrong. And then, you know, you can draw the line at things like speeding perhaps, but then well, there's, there's still a level where speeding is too fast and you know, it's wrong. So it, Steve, it's, that's a, I'm sorry, but that's a, that's a, that's logically troublesome to me. I think, I think it's, I think it's a fallacy to you're asking to prove a negative. You have no idea how many people have been deterred. Now, you you have a hunch that nobody would have been deterred, but how many guys have laid in their bed, looked at the ceiling, right? And, and I don't necessarily mean narcissistic guys or guys that are, uh, uh, you know, diagnosed as crazy or schizophrenic or something, but I'm sure there are several men, several women that have laid in bed next to their partner looking at the ceiling and wanted to murder them. Right. And but for the idea that they're going to go to prison and but for the idea that they may believe in God and that there's judgment in the afterlife and maybe even the death penalty waiting for them, they don't do it. Now, now you may say you may say, hey, Norm, I think that's uh, full of crap and you're wrong, but you have no way of proving that you're right. And I I guess I don't have any way to prove I'm right. I mean, I'm I'm mostly right all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I agree with you, Norm. Pretty, so, no, it's, 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 a good, it's a good point, Norm. That's a good point. I'm pretty damn sure that I'm pretty damn sure that the various penalties for committing crimes are a deterrent, and, well, and the death the death penalty is one of those penalties. I would say this: when you just listed the set of circumstances that would have deterred you from killing your, I mean, the other guy from killing his wife. See what I did there. <laughs> That would deter somebody from killing their spouse. Uh, you mentioned yeah. among the things morality, God. 
judgment. That's right. And, you know, to some extent, that is morality is a deterrent. If you feel like there is a greater judgment, it's not what the punishment is going to happen here on earth with our justice system, but rather what might happen to you in the afterlife. Well, Um, maybe it's both. Or what it might Mm -hmm. be to just be a human. And I think that's kind of where we're, what I think is a deterrent is not necessarily that, you know, Sheriff Justice is going to show up and take you to jail. I think what the deterrent is, is we know in our heart, for whatever reason, that as much as this hypothetical spouse may be driving a hypothetical spouse crazy, it's not right to take another human life. You just don't do it. it there's you just you don't kill just because you can. Whether you're trying to teach your five year old not to squash the worm just because he can, we try and instill these values in our kids. We try and instill them in our people. We try and instill them, and in, you know, as as people grow up. But there's this inherent belief that you don't kill just because you can. I don't think the idea of going to jail is what the deterrent is. I think the idea of I want to be a good person, so I'm not going to strangle my wife in her sleep is more of a deterrent than I'm going to go to jail for the rest of my life. We just don't do yeah. it. There are other ways to deal with those issues. Okay, We find another way because we don't kill. What I think we're missing is, especially today, um, not sure everybody understands that. It's just easier to pull out a gun. Well, people people are not amenable anymore to individual consequence and individual self responsibility. Everything's a collective. Everything's a collective, and you know I'm gonna. I, I believe that firmly. I, I was just talking to Brett earlier about my parking lot back there. My parking lot is a microcosm of the the horrid outcome of collectivism because people think they can just go park there. And I had somebody park there the other day again. And not only did she park there, she double parked there. So she took up two spots right in front of a no parking sign. I watched her from my window, um, look at the sign, and then sort of shrug and walk around the corner. And I tried to stop her. I was on another call. I couldn't get out there. And, you know, she's, I went out, and she's double parked. And it's like I caught, Shamrock came, and they towed her car, and she was livid. She was absolutely incensed. She's like, wait a minute. I'm seven months pregnant. Um, I, I've got all my personal belongings. How could you do this? And it wasn't that, sorry, I parked back there. I knew I shouldn't have. It was like, I'm entitled to park back uh-huh. there, and you're wrong for enforcing the rules. Uh, and it's like, you know, I, I don't know where that, how you square that with, uh, with a collective ideal, because it, it leads to that inevitably. It's like, I can do whatever I want, and there's no, there's no uh, check on that. Which is, mm-hmm. to tie it back to the death penalty, is why people get so frustrated because it's so different, because it is supposed to be based on the individual consequences. Okay, yeah. Not everybody understands that. Not everybody wants to deal with individual consequences. It's about the person. It's about each individual. That's how it's supposed to be applied. We don't like that anymore, anymore in our society. It has to fit into a group think. There has to be some resolution. Well, we can't do it because of X, Y, or Z. Well, you know, that's not what it's supposed to be. You know, we goes back to gun control. Oh, we need to control the guns. No, the guns aren't running around killing people. It's the people. It's an individual decision. It's an individual, you know. But to take the other side of that for a second, the justice system is one of those things that inherently we want it to be applied equally to all. You know, we want that. And maybe that's the inherent problem with the death penalty is that we have made it an individual responsibility thing by creating this standard where if you're, if you're, uh, if you've got mitigating circumstances, or in other words, you've lived an otherwise good life and you've got lots to offer, we're going to save your life. But uh, the other guy who does the same thing, we're going to kill him uh, because he's, you know, he hasn't had a good life. Or maybe the first guy, it's not that he lived a good life, but he had a hard life. You know, his childhood sucked, and you know, he was abused as a kid, and etc. 
And, you know, maybe maybe that's part of the problem I might have with the death penalty is that, you know, the justice system should be blind in some respects. It's not that it's groupthink. It applies to everybody the same. But we do it in every case, whether it's a death penalty or a theft. We do. A, a guy, a guy mm-hmm. you take two guys who walk in and they both shoplift $1,000. What should happen? Yes. One guy gets yes. diversion because he's never been in trouble before. The other guy's been doing it for 20 years. He goes to prison. They stole the same thing. Yeah, fair enough. But we look at it from each in an individual perspective. Yeah, and and do and we don't want. I, I, you know, we're painting a picture here that we don't want the group think. Snap a finger, you did you did the same crime. That that's scary. Groupthink is trying to change that because they're saying, and and it's and what's happened is everything is getting turned on its ear. So we we think that uh, the criminal law is too harsh on underprivileged folks who go in and steal stuff because they've got a record a mile long, they're going to jail where somebody goes in and, and gets caught the first time they don't go to jail. That's disparate outcomes, you know, and that must be racial or it must be some other prejudice or it must be something. So what they're not doing is, is looking at those circumstances individually. They're saying, we're just not going to prosecute anybody. You know, right. It's like, and, 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 and you know, that, that leads to absurd outcomes. And looking at it from that perspective is an absurd perspective. Okay. You're supposed to look at it from an individual perspective, but everybody wants to take it from that group perspective, they want to look at the guy who's got a 20 year record and say, well, why is he going to prison? Not understanding that he's going to prison because he's been doing it for 20 years. He's a professional shoplifter. Right. He has a storefront on the east side. Like, you know, and a fair discussion to have as to why he's been doing it for 20 years. Right. And that may mitigate his sentence on some on some levels still. No, I got you. That makes sense. So I still have a, it, it's still problematic to me. And I think it maybe is just the degree of it. It's like it take it's like Clint Eastwood, right? Hell of a thing killing a man. Take uh-huh. everything he's got and everything he's ever gonna have. Yep. You know, that's it. And and the flip side of that is some folks just need killing. And some folks need to, that's right. So it, what do you do and how do you square all that? And, uh, you know, I, 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 doing what I do, I have, it's not just that somebody looking at the, the guilt side for a second, it's not just that somebody innocent might be convicted. It is that somebody guilty might be convicted with, um, with flawed evidence or a flawed constitutional process. And then that can repeat when somebody's innocent. And so it's like, to me, uh, if, if you, if you kill somebody, impose the death penalty on somebody, and uh, there's no way to, there's no way not only to redress it if you find it, but it's hardly ever nobody ever looks for it because they're dead. You know nobody cares anymore. So you're not going to go back and do an appeal. You're not going to go back and review the transcripts. You're not going to go back and subpoena cop records and find the missing evidence. You know you're not going to do those things because the person's dead, and th- that's how people get exonerated with bad evidence or with uh, when you prove that cops acted with bad intent or maybe they acted with a mistake or maybe a victim recants or maybe it was a bad identification or just turn back the clock and bridge the pre and post DNA era where all of a sudden you've got all these people who were released. And, you know, as Barry Sheck once said, this was the, that New York rape case this is the case of the unindicted co-ejaculator, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the guy was actually, he was exonerated, but the prosecutor's response was, well, it wasn't his DNA. He must've had somebody else with him who left the DNA, but he was still there. You know, it's like that. If you kill the guy, there's no chance to ever fix it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. and that's the pragmatic side of it. Okay, so that's where I come back to it. morally. Some folks need killing. Pragmatically, it's impossible to do, it, or it's impossible to impose in a way that makes me feel good. Maybe is what the anymore because maybe it's just my hubris. I don't, I don't, I don't trust prosecutors to get it right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just and I, I certainly don't, don't. I don't, and you know, it's not just because they're prosecutors; because they're human, right? Because Lord mm-hmm. knows, I did everything I could to make sure I didn't send somebody there. Okay, 
it, it was my biggest fear as a prosecutor. I never wanted to send somebody to prison, death row or not, for something that they didn't do. And I always ask this question, Vladimir, and, and say like, a, and we'll, we'll turn this to child rape cases because I ask this question a lot. It's like anybody here of a child uh, rape case or somebody uh, convicted of child rape that was later exonerated, where later DNA let him out of jail, or the victim said, "No, sorry, I made it up because it was just you know my mom told me to, or my stepmom told me to, or whatever it is." And most people have heard of that kind of scenario. And then you ask the next question: How many people think that the prosecutor, the social worker, the police, the judge? The jury, how many people thought that they were working on a wrongful conviction case in real time? In other words, how many people thought at the time this guy was wrongfully convicted that he was in, that he was actually innocent? And the answer is none. You know, I, I just want, I don't think you have to go to, to impose bad intent on prosecutors of the system. It's, that's probably the, probably happens, but I think it's rare. Where some, where a prosecutor really says, I know that guy's innocent, I'm going to convict him anyway. I think it's, they think they're, they're they think they're doing the right thing, but they're wrong. And I, right, people are human. We all make mistakes. I don't, you know, I've not seen, knock on wood, I've not seen a specific instance of someone going out and doing something because they want to nail that guy because they don't like him. Yeah. But what I do see, and I think you would agree in your profession, is that decisions are colored more by how's this going to appear in the dispatch tomorrow? How's this going to play when I have to go to the rotary meeting next week? I think those factors play into it. And maybe that was the the luxury that I had working for the AG's office and traveling around is I can go into these counties and throw dynamite around and not worry about what happened. You know, yeah, mm. you get to come in sort of like Henry II, right? It's the King's justice coming in. You're supposed to be unbiased and there's no uh, local uh, right. uh, influence over you. And, so and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I was lucky enough that I didn't have to worry about that. But I think, you know, because of the nature of the system right now, everybody's more worried about how's this going to play in the paper. What's tomorrow. it going to look like? And then I think maybe a, a, a close kissing cousin to that concept is this. When police, when prosecutors, when the system thinks that they've got the right guy, but they can't prove it, that's when they start bending rules. Mm-hmm. And I, I, have, I have experienced that many, many times on, with guilty people. They, you know, they, they're right. And I've experienced it also a few times when they're wrong. Um, but it's like people will, and this is another sort of a reflection of society. It's like, you know, there, there is a group out there, people out there right now that will say, well, look, it's so important. Our cause is so just that we should change the rules at least just to do to get this done. Right. And you know, that's, that's like the old man of all seasons. Sooner or later, the devil turns back on you and you've got no protection left. And I think that's what we're getting to. It's like, take you talk about the child sex cases sex cases in general, we have to believe every woman, right? You know, that's an idea. The Me Me Too Too movement. I mean, yeah, there are some things the pendulum needed to shift, okay? The old Hollywood thing and all of that needed to shift. And nobody's saying that the way it used to be was good. But that believe every woman makes it much more difficult because well, she said it, so she has to be telling the truth. Well, they're willing to then bend rules and change the system a little bit to make sure that we have to believe every victim. Well, there are guys who didn't do it. Yeah, plenty of them. Right. Yeah, plenty of them. I've seen more false convictions or wrong convictions in that realm. And I think, to your point, Paul, more people that shouldn't have been prosecuted in the first place that, you know, even if they did something uh, wrong, it was they got charged with too much. Mm-hmm. And um, they're sitting in prison and their lives are ruined and uh, they should have had a consequence, but it's too much because of this movement coming back the other way and going. The backlash has gone too far. Just the accusation alone is enough to ruin a guy. 
It you don't even right. even if he's acquitted. Yeah. Even if he's acquitted, lose his, your job. Everything's done. It's done. Yep. And you can't hide. It's social media era. Nope. So I mean, Florida. They, they you know, you got DeSantis. Um, generally, look, I like we call it like we see it here at Common Sense Ohio. And I, when I see things that make sense to me, I, I call it out. When they don't, I call it out. And I don't think it makes sense to me to have a death penalty imposed, even suggested for things like rape or child uh, uh, child rape. Not because I think those things don't deserve the death penalty, but because I think it just is wrought with all sorts of potential problems on killing people who are otherwise innocent or maybe innocent or uh, whatever the situation. Um, and I think the Supreme Court's got something to say about it, too. Yeah. I mean, the, the United States Supreme Court has been pretty consistent that the death penalty is to be applied for murder cases. And that's it. So it's going to be interesting seeing how that works its way through the system. Yeah, and you know anybody's going to take a snippet of this conversation and say you you are in favor of child sex offenders. That's not the point. <laughs> you know, it's like look, I'm the first one to say if we could be if we could have a magic wand and universally know the truth in every single case and you would know that somebody raped a 2-year-old or a 4-year-old or a 5-year-old, cut their freaking nuts off and slice their throats, right? I mean, right. it's a horrible horrible thing. But I have seen the other side of it where maybe of every 10 that are accused, uh, there's two that are falsely accused. And then is it okay to kill them? It it happens, unfortunately. I mean, there's no question that it does happen. Yep. Um, Olivia and I tried a case last October. and I remember the case. So and your guy was falsely accused. You, you believe he, that in your heart. In my heart of hearts, I don't believe he ever touched his stepdaughter. And luckily, after four days, the jury found him not guilty. Mm-hmm. But, you know. And the prosecutor thought they had the right guy. Absolutely, they did. And the social worker thought they had the right guy. As as the social worker said at the end of the interview, the the wonderful forensic interview that's done on every one of these cases, mm-hmm. thank you so much for your courage in coming forward. You did the right thing. You did the right thing, right? Not hmm. a, not an independent discernment of whether the the, nope. the interview questions were done correctly or whether the responses were accurate. No follow-up to see if anything she'd ever said was truthful or not. Thank you for coming forward today. You, you were very courageous in doing the right thing. Yeah. And so- <laughs> The, the classic uh, instance of that, what you what you just mentioned, Paul, is that whole McMartin preschool. Yeah, exactly. California. California. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It just, you know, I mean, can you imagine, uh, I don't know how, how many staffers, it was like 15 people, something. It, it was a huge number of people that were supposedly all having, you know, orgiastic sex with these children. And uh, wow, you, you'd put 15 people that to death yep. on, on the basis of, uh, psychologically, um, Nonsense. Uh, driven, uh, recant or, or memories that were, were brought forward after counseling these children and the children are just repeating back, uh, to get approval from the counselor, these stories That's after, it. The, after it had been implanted in their, in their head. Yeah. We'll have to so, do a whole nother episode on, on child sex allegations because you know it's like there's you've read the studies where they actually will tell a kid about a birthday party where mickey mouse was there or donald duck was there or they'll they'll create this whole scenario and a kid will be told this stuff and then years later they'll ask him and they believe it like it happened Mm -hmm. they believe Mm -hmm. it like it happened Mm -hmm. uh, the memory works that way you know it's like on the other hand on the other hand if there had been a security camera on mr clinton who raped a two-year-old and then, uh, as Paul said, murdered the two-year-old afterwards. And you got that on film? 
I'll flip the switch on that guy. Well, yeah. he, he left enough. He left enough DNA around it. Might as well have been on video. Right. Well, so it, it, the the yeah. good news now is evidence has gotten a lot better. So DNA happened, but th- they're still playing the joints. And by and large, these child sex cases, there is no physical evidence. No. I mean, I'm working on one right now. A guy was convicted, and I'm trying to fix it. Uh, the allegation was like five years of I'm talking hardcore adult sex. Not to get graphic about it, but ankles behind the ears, sex with a grown man, and this was a young girl. And you know the evidence at trial was the hymen was intact. Uh, there's zero physical findings whatsoever, not even a cleft, nothing, zero. Um, there was no uh, real physical evidence whatsoever. It was just this girl's word against a stepfather, and uh, you know he's doing life in prison. Um, and it's it happens. It's like your case. I, I didn't try that case. I'm working on an appeal, and I believe in my heart of hearts, this guy is innocent because uh, I've seen what guilt is, right. and it's not this. And that's the, you know, when you have a forensic interviewer and it's her job to to get the story, and the idea behind these forensic interviews is that you only want to talk to the child once so that you don't re-traumatize the child, and you get them on cross-examination and say, so it's not your job to like confront with you know, inconclusive statements or contradictory statements or anything like that. It's just your job is to collect their statements. She goes, oh yeah, just I, it's not my job to, to scrutinize that. It's not my job to do anything else like that. But whose job is it? You mm-hmm. you take this position that the child is telling you 100% truth. You're thanking them for coming forward, but you're not validating them. You are validating them. You're absolutely validating them. The whole point them. of validating Kids them is- Kids want approval at every level. And, mm-hmm. and once you say that, you no kid can walk that back. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't walk it back. There's no way to walk back that accusation. So- whether you're just telling your boyfriend because you want some reason to be special or whether you're telling somebody because there's a fight going on between your mom and your stepdad, you can't walk that accusation back when it comes back. And just there needs to be to, to base a death penalty on that. You want to talk about getting incongruent results. I mean, it's yeah. bad enough yeah. now with murders. Let's, let's throw that mix in and then talk yeah. about whether or not it's a good idea to be executing people who might be innocent. Yeah. And that's, no. um, that's the scariest thing President- we can do. Uh, President Trump, in a in in his crime uh, speech, uh, just a couple days ago, uh, running for you know his second term with all of his issues and the Me Too trial that took place in New York, uh, which you know, they had to pass a special law so somebody could come forward after the 25 year statute of limitations had run. But President Trump, a couple days ago also threw in drug dealers uh kingpin drug dealers should be getting the death penalty so you know now now it's child rapists kingpin drug dealers well that's, like, that's your that's your point paul it's like politics yeah that, that's yeah. A, that, it, it, that's not that's overtly political it's it's like admittedly political right everything's becoming political at this point and yeah if we could just step back and actually talk about what the Constitution says. I mean, that's my common sense. Whenever I have a question, I actually go back to look at that old dusty document and I try to figure out it's pretty where, rule book. where are we supposed to be? And it comes back to individual responsibility and it comes back to taking care of ourselves and it comes back to the government isn't supposed to be the one that's in control. We're supposed to be taking care of ourselves. Um, yeah. And there are punishments that are allowed and punishments that are not, are not allowed. But this political aspect of it is making it a mess and the two party system hasn't helped that in any way, shape or form, in my opinion. Yeah. It's become so everything is so polar that the middle is impossible. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there, nobody, you, you, you can't end up in the middle without getting, uh, absolutely skewered by both sides. 
you know, that that's the problem. There there is no middle position that you're allowed to have, which is why we have this show, right, Norm? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking of Brett Kavanaugh, uh, you know, uh, this Trump thing that's supposed to happen at the department store in New York. Uh, you know, uh, Bill Cosby, you know, not only would I want the death penalty if it's going to be used to be used, you know, pretty coterminous after the trial, but victims need to come forward way sooner than they have been. This, this lady that testified about Brett Kavanaugh, you know, it was what a high school or a, or a, a college party. And here we are, you know, 30 years, 40 years later, and, and she can't remember the house, the party, who else was there, what day it was, what street, nothing. And, wow. and, and you know, Bill Cosby's victims, I think one was under the statute of limitations, the other 29 or however many didn't come forward in time. And, uh, you know, this Trump thing at the department store, another thing, you know, the New York legislature passed a special Trump statute of limitations exemption so that lady could bring her case. It's the, the victims need to act sooner and the justice system needs to act sooner. That I'm very frustrated as a citizen. I see our justice system falling apart because of people not respecting the Constitution and gumming up the system with incessant second chances, third chances, fourth chances, and review, review, review. I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm all in favor of appeals and reviews, but at some point, if we're 100% sure that this person did the crime and there are no other reasons, they either need to do it or let's get rid of the death penalty. Well, I think I mean, the problem is your premise is impossible. You know, you're never 100% sure. And even when you're 100% sure, then are you 100% sure that the system uh, wasn't, uh, that the system was applied appropriately? And then if you're 100% sure on this case, when when are you not 100% sure? Where do you draw that line? Like, what is it? Because 30 years ago without DNA, we were 100% sure. And then we were 100% wrong 10 years later when DNA came out. So it's well, like, you know, you can we, say we have- I was 100% sure, but what if you're not? Yeah, I guess, you know, we have some crimes on video. We have the guy, the guy who shot Reagan and James, uh, I can't think Brady. of his press secretary. Fair yeah. enough, but you I can't I mean, that's say, on video. So, so if he killed him. So is the law going to read, if it's on video, you can kill somebody with a death penalty, or if it's not no, on video, I'm you can't. No, I'm talking about when you're 100% sure. So the law's going to read 100% sure, but how, what was 100% before video? Well, Paul just mentioned the DNA video there's other ways what was 100 uh, percent sure before dna and then what about what about uh say james earl ray I, he never denied he shot martin luther king yeah well so a confession but how are we you know there's false confessions too I, the point is you never it, when i say never 100 percent sure i appreciate that there are times when the evidence is in, uh, con- totally conclusive but that slope gets slippery and it, you still end up with this theory that all right so we're 100 percent sure does that mean we should kill this person without a mitigation hearing and uh, only then uh, can we do it if well, you're 100% sure. Well, this- Steve, Steve, it was you that was arguing against uh, unequal application of the law. So uh, whether the guy has a nice smile or a tan and he looks like Ted Bundy, I could care less. I could care less if he's John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy, who's handsome, whether he has a law degree or, you know, he, he goes to church and all that stuff. 
I'm, I believe in equal application of the law. So to, I to think be that, clear, I, yeah. I I only pointed out that that's one of the things that bothers me about it is that you have this individual assessment right. later on about how good somebody right. is, whether we should kill them. And right. the that is a, thing. that's a very you, you, difficult, that's a very difficult uh, standard to I get right you. consistently. I hear you. I believe in, yes, I, I you know, uh, yes. So that, that's the old cocaine argument. You know, you had people using powder cocaine, not going to prison and people using mm, uh, crack. Not, not quite the same, but yes. I mean, what I'm saying is if we're going to decide based on somebody's worth as a human being, whether we're going to kill yeah. them or not, then I believe that's an impossible task yeah. to get right okay. and get consistent. Yeah. Because what, oh, yeah. I, I just You're think it's impossible. Gonna, yeah. And that's, well, why, I that's right. why I think the death right. penalty, you know, as a, as a practical moral matter, yeah, it's like an eye for an eye. It makes perfect sense, right? There are cases we all know that you should kill somebody. But if you're going to implement right. a standard of justice in a, in a democratic sure. society, it cannot be done uh, I don't think with the reliability and effectiveness uh, to make it w with the consequence being permanent. I don't think it can be. I don't think you can implement it. That's and my problem and, and I don't think we want to do that because, well, the firing squad, somebody has a blank and somebody's got a blank. Right. So. Mm -hmm. So we don't really consciously want to do this. They won't sell us the drug. They won't sell us the drug. But, you know, it's you like, know, so. You know, there's some something bubbling the, here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a tough one. And you know, it is. it's not, a, it's not, it's, yeah, it's not a fun thing to do. No, somebody no. no. I mean, in the context right, of a child a, sex case, I guess it's just a matter of degree. Maybe it's like the chances of getting that wrong are so much greater. I agree. That's the problem. I mean, yeah. Like Curtis Clinton, he was as guilty as a day is long. There's not a question about that. You know, the jurors yeah. came back during the mitigation phase during that second phase about whether or not to impose a death penalty wanted to make sure that the defense counsel didn't screw it up because mm. they didn't present anything. So they asked the mm. judge, you know, is yeah. there, was this how it was supposed to be? You know, because they were like, there's nothing for us to weigh this against. How does this even work? Yeah. But so they wanted to make sure that they got it right. Everybody wanted to make sure they got it right. And it, they got it right. So there's no question about what happens here. Yeah. But his backstory, why, why that wasn't presented is the, the, does that get him a pass? You know, because let's be honest, there are people who would be happy to take care of these things. You know, I'll, I'll pay the, for the round myself. I'll yeah, make, yeah. I'll take him out. I'll make him dig his own hole. I don't have a problem with that. Some people just need killing. Yeah. But systematically throughout society, how do you do that consistently? And it becomes much, it is becoming more difficult as technology advances as there's more evidence, as there's more DNA, it just seems to be becoming much more difficult to have any certainty because for whatever reason, we just can't get to that point. And yeah. the pragmatic side of me is like, what's the difference at this point between 15, 20 years locked up in prison before we take them down the hall? Yeah, why do it in the first place? Why do it at this point? Yeah, why do it so in the first place? So, so let me ask you guys a question. I think you're, 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 you know, you guys are way smarter than me. I, uh, I would, you know, I would be willing to I, bet I, against that. No, nah, well, right. I, <laughs> you, but you guys, you guys have actually, you know, you've been under fire in this situation and, and Brett and I have not. So you have expertise, both of you. You're, you're, you keep talking about consistency. Nothing is consistent in life. At no, all. Nothing. I agree. I mean, 
the, the circumstances of your birth and, and what country and what society and what freedoms you have. Uh, the, the bridges you go over in one county might be very well engineered and, and very well maintained. You drive in the same state, the same country to another county and the bridge is rickety and ready to collapse. So nothing, nothing life and death is consistent in our country. I get, I am less bothered by the idea that one county or one state may choose to use the death penalty and another county or state doesn't. That is local control. That's their decision. Well, can, I, I, that's uh, not the consistency we're talking about as much as uh, maybe in the same county, you're going to have incongruent results based upon one jury looking at a guy's life differently than another jury looking at a guy's life. And maybe look at it this way, Norm, it might be a matter of degree. And I'm I'm willing to admit that, which is not necessarily logical, but I think there's something here. It's like, if I'm going to go defuse a bomb, it's like the classic movie where if you cut the red wire and you're wrong, you blow up. And if you don't cut the, if you cut the right wire, you live. It's like, we're cutting the red, like we're, we're defusing a bomb with a wire cut. When we, when we do this, there is no going back. Now, if it, if it just meant that um, you made a mistake and you might have to fix it and you know, you, you caused a mess and you have to clean it up. It's like, I'm willing to take the chance to cut the wire, but if it's permanent, it's, it's a harder decision to make. And you can say logically all the facts and circumstances should weigh the same. Everything should be, uh, you know, just appreciate that you might get it wrong sometimes and it's going to be inconsistent other times. Um, but I, I, I think fundamentally it just bugs me for that reason. It's like you have no, it's permanent. You can't fix it. If you got it wrong, you can't fix it. And not just wrong about guilt or innocent, but wrong about maybe, this guy had some redeeming qualities, as you pointed out, that 10 years later emerged, or maybe right. not. And right. if we can't accept, and if I can't accept that we can always make that second decision uh, correctly, then as much as I believe in sort of like certain people just need to die, like you said, Bob, certain people need killing, um, you can't build a system around it. I, I, that, that's sort of maybe where I am with it. And that's kind of the point. I mean, it's not like they're going home, right? if they're convicted of these homicides and everything else like that. It's not like, well, it's death or they get to go home and keep doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to Lucasville in Ohio. Not a pleasant place. They're yeah. going to Youngstown Supermax. Most unpleasant. In fact. Not yeah. very pleasant place. So, you know, there is punishment. The point with respect to the death penalty is while some folks need killing, and I was a part of that for 20 years trying to see whether or not that process should work, I'm not so sure that it's the best system at this point. You know, mm-hmm. it, I may be frustrated with people not having the honesty to talk about why it's not the best system and, and trying to find an easier way around that. But at the end of the day, is this really what we want as a society? Is this really how we want it to be? We all may believe that some folks need killing, but that those tables can turn at some point in time. And it's just, is this the system we want? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure no. anymore that, that it's the that it's the best process. Well, maybe we're naturally evolving out of it anyway because we're not imposing it. We're not doing it. So we're so, not doing it. So we're kind of, yeah. from a pragmatic standpoint, subconsciously not doing it anyway. Yeah. The, just, the best the best book I ever read about the death penalty was In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. And uh, yeah, so the one, the one murderer of the Cutter family, the one murderer was kind of egged on and, and kind of uh, dared. Uh, by the other uh, guy, and uh, and yet they were both put to death. Right. So yeah, I I understand Paul, and and you and Steve, you know, are very educational. I 
I'm not happy about the death penalty. I really, that statistic that I started out with about one out of five people on Ohio, on Ohio's death roll were uh, excised from that uh, row, um, you know, is shocking to me. Yeah, but I don't 20, think that's because they were innocent. No, I think yeah. it's because. No, no, yeah. no, no. But, but there was some defect. Right. And, and so they were excised off of death row. And, and so that, that's very disturbing to me because had that review not taken place, well, 20% more people, if we were using the death penalty, would, would be gone. I'll give you an example then, of just how weird it gets sometimes and how competitive, okay? Steve and I have been doing this for 25 years, okay? As a defense attorney, as a prosecutor, now as a defense attorney, it is battle. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We go into these trials and we gear up and, you know, to do what we do, there has to be that competitive side. I don't care what anybody says. You hate to lose. You want to win. But you want to make sure that everybody follows the rules and does it the right way. When I was with special prosecutions at the AG's office, I went up to Cleveland. Now, Cuyahoga County, beautiful county, lots of beautiful things up in Cuyahoga County, but the legal system up there is a blood feud. Okay, it is complete and total just a death match in trials. Trying a case was a double murder out of a subway I'm, and I'm on retrial. So it's gone up on appeal. It's been reversed. It's getting a new trial. Went up, a, got convicted a second time and came back for prosecutorial misconduct. The prosecutor, a witness didn't testify, refused to testify at the second trial. The prosecutor, as they're gathering all of the exhibits at the end of the trial, puts her statement in to go back to the jury. She didn't testify, but lays everything out. And he sneaks it into the pile to go back. So jurors are deliberating. About three days into the deliberations, they ask the judge, hey, we have this sheet here, but she never testified. Are we allowed to do this? He declares a second mistrial. So it's gone up twice and come back, right? The guy's been in prison for 15 years. The prosecutor's like, they're talking about trying to investigate how it goes back there and everything else. And they're like, are you going to take a polygraph? He goes, I'm not taking a polygraph about that. I'm like, I'm going to go back to my office and nobody's going to do a thing about it mm -hmm. because that's Cuyahoga County. It's a blood sport. Wow. Came up by the time I get it. They're like, well, do you want to try this case again? I'm like, no, I don't want to try this case again. How am I going to try this case again? So I sat down with the victim's family and I had the very difficult conversation about all the different hurdles that we had to go through and, the wife of the widow, or the guy who was working at Subway or Papa John's, I can't remember what it was. You know, I had to explain to her that, you know, the guy who killed her, there was no question he's the one who did it, okay? It wasn't even a question that he was the one who did it. But I couldn't ethically go forward anymore because two of the witnesses had died. The one wasn't going to testify anymore. The prosecutor had already cheated on one version of it. And then don't even get me started on the stories we know about defense attorneys. So it works both sides. Yeah, both sides do it. Both um, sides do it. But... So that's the problem with the system sometimes. You know, that's Cuyahoga County. And you talked about bridges being built, and I grew up in Mahoning County, and there's a whole reason why those bridges are different, but that's... Well, the, the, what you're talking about <laughs> is the scenario that scares me the most. It is when people come under the cloak of righteousness. They can justify virtually anything. Yep. Just ask Joseph Stalin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the thing. And we heard stories growing up as young prosecutors and defense attorneys about attorneys here that would find a witness the night before who was an alcoholic and leave them 25 bucks as they were doing their witness interview so that they would get drunk and not show up for court the next morning. Yep. Prosecutors, defense attorneys, when it becomes a blood sport and it becomes more about that competition, that's when bad things can happen. And 
when you ramp up those when you ramp it up to the point where it's a death penalty case or, you know, it becomes even more worrisome that that's what's going to happen. And it does happen. It does. Happen. So if that mm-hmm. happens in a death penalty case, the consequences are, are unfixable, you know, yeah. if, if you've killed somebody and yeah. that's right. sort of the problem. Right. And, and I get it like 15, 20 years later, by the time it rolls back around, you know, all the appeals go through and everything else, he theoretically could have been dead. Yeah. And then what do you do? Yeah. Then mm-hmm. you can, well, it's not only, it's not even what you do. You would never discover it because nobody would bother looking at that point. And that's the, that's the problem. Not even the innocence project folks get involved at that point. So, yeah. All right. Well, with that we got to wrap it up guys. This has been common sense, wow. Ohio. We've been at it a little bit longer than we normally do, but I think it was uh, a good discussion. So Paul, thanks for coming, man. I Anytime. know uh, that's great. Yeah, Thanks Paul. And you're, nice he's to about to, you. uh, he's about to, to join us upstairs at the law firm. You got an office. So, uh, you know, that's uh, as, long as, che- that. as long as a check I left you today. Clears. <laughs> as long as rent check clears. Right. We might see you on the mic down here with lawyer talk too. I don't know. We'll talk more about that, but so common sense, Ohio show.com. As I said in the beginning, what we want you to do is really easy. All you got to do is download, like, and share. And uh, did she tell us to do anything else, Brett? I don't remember. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's good. Enough. And you know what? It'll work. That's exactly what we should do. Yeah. yeah. Download, like, and she being our marketing guru, but download, like, and share. Read Norm's blogs. Somebody's got to. You know, I'm, I didn't get a laugh. I didn't get a laugh at that. No, 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 no it's good I stuff. Think, so check out the website. I think my, my, my last uh, blog was uh, Lock Hillary up because the Durham report is now the third investigati- investigative report. The, the Mueller report, the Durham report, the FEC fine on Hillary for paying for the false dossier. Man, I'll tell you what, the country lost three years of focus because of a fake false narrative. And if and if anybody deserves to get locked up, it's Hillary Clinton. So yeah, that's but, my but we have to believe every woman except Monica Lewinsky, right? <laughs> and uh, what's her name? Uh, the other gal that accused uh, uh, no, Biden. Uh, yeah. and, uh, Tara. Uh, uh, Biden. Uh, Biden's uh, Biden's victim, uh, yep. Tara Reid. I think. Yeah, Tara wow. Reid. She, she's actually leaving the country now for fear of her own oh safety. God. But anyway, all right. With that, we're going to wrap it up. So it's commonsenseohioshow.com for those who missed it the other five times I said it. Like and subscribe and share for those who didn't get that either. Um, Download. I think that's one of them. But until then, we are Common Sense Ohio coming at you right from the middle.